Essays on some unsettled questions of political economy. Essay number three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Some Essays on Unsettled Questions of Political Economy by John Stuart Mill. Essay number three. On the words productive and unproductive. It would probably be difficult to point out any two words respecting the proper use of which political economists have been more divided than they have been concerning the two words productive and unproductive, whether considered as applied to labor, to consumption, or to expenditure. Although this is a question solely of nomenclature, it is one of significant importance to be worth another attempt to settle it satisfactorily. For although writers on political economy have not agreed in the ideas which they were accustomed to annex to these terms, the terms have generally been employed to denote ideas of very great importance, and it is impossible that some vagueness should not have been thrown upon the ideas themselves by looseness in the use of the words by which they are habitually designated. Further, so long as the pedantic objection to the introduction of new technical terms continues, accurate thinkers on moral and political subjects are limited to a very scanty vocabulary for the expression of their ideas. It therefore is of great importance that the words with which mankind are familiar should be turned to the greatest possible advantage as instruments of thought, and that one word should not be used as the sign of an idea which is already sufficiently expressed in another word, and that words which are required to denote ideas of great importance should not be usurped for the expression of such as are comparatively significant. The phrases productive labor and productive consumption have been employed by some writers on political economy with very great latitude. They have considered and classed as productive labor and productive consumption, all labor which serves any useful purpose, all consumption which is not waste. Mr. McCullough has asserted, totum verbius, that the labor of Madame Pasta was as well entitled to be called productive labor as that of a cotton spinner. Employed in this sense, the words productive and unproductive are superfluous. Once the words useful and agreeable on the one hand, useless and worthless on the other, are quite sufficient to express all the ideas to which the words productive and unproductive are here applied. The use of the terms, therefore, is subversive of the ends of language. Those writers who have employed the words in a more limited sense have usually understood by productive or unproductive labor, labor which is productive of wealth, or unproductive of wealth. But what is wealth? And here the words productive and unproductive have been affected with additional ambiguities, corresponding to the different extensions which different writers have given to the term wealth. Some have given the name of wealth to all things which tend to the use or enjoyment of mankind, and which possess exchangeable value. This last clause is added to exclude air, the light of the sun, and any other things which can be obtained in unlimited quantity without labor or sacrifice, 
together with all such things as, though produced by labor, are not held in sufficient general estimation to command any price in the market. But when the definition came to be explained, many persons were disposed to interpret all things which tend to have use or enjoyment of man as implying only all material things. Immaterial products they refused to consider as wealth, and labor or expenditure which yielded nothing but immaterial projects they characterized as unproductive labor and unproductive expenditure. To this it was, or might have been, answered that according to this classification a carpenter's labor at his trade is productive labor, but the same individual's labor in learning his trade was unproductive labor. Yet it is obvious that, on both occasions, his labor tended exclusively to what is allowed to be production. The one was equally indispensable with the other. To the ultimate result, further, if we adopted the above definition, we should be obliged to say that a nation whose artisans were twice as skillful as those of another nation was not, ceteris paribus, more wealthy, although it is evident that every one of the results of wealth and everything for the sake of which wealth is desired would be possessed by the former country in a higher degree than by the latter. Every classification according to which a basket of cherries gathered and eaten the next minute are called wealth, while that title is denied to the acquired skill of those who are acknowledged to be productive laborers, is a purely arbitrary division, and does not conduce to the ends for which classification and nomenclature are designed. In order to get over all difficulties, some political economists have disposed to make the terms express a distinction sufficiently definite indeed, but more completely arbitrary, and having less foundation in nature than any of the former. This will not allow for any labor or any expenditure the name of productive, unless the produce which it yields returns into the hands of the very person who made the outlay. Hedging and ditching they term productive labor, though these operations conduce to production only indirectly by protecting the produce from destruction. But the necessary expenses incurred by a government for the protection of property are, they insist upon it, consumed unproductively. Though it has been well pointed out by Mr. McCullough, these expenses, in their relation to the national wealth, are exactly analogous to the wages of a hedger or a ditcher. The only difference is that the farmer who pays for the hedging and ditching is the person to whom the consequent increase of production occurs, while the government, which is at the expense of police officers and courts of justice, does not, as a necessary consequence, get back into its own coffers the increase of the national wealth resulting from the security of property. It would be endless to point out the oddities and incongruities which result from this classification, whether we take the words wealth and production in the largest or in the most restricted sense in which they have yet been employed. Nobody will dispute that roads, bridges, and canals contribute to an eminent degree, and in a very direct manner, to the increase of production and wealth. The labor and pecuniary resources employed in these constructions would, according to the above theory, be considered productive, if every occupant of the land were compelled by law to construct so much of the road or canal as passes through his own farm. 
If instead of this the government makes the road and throws it open to the public toll free, the labor and expenditure would be, on the above system, clearly unproductive. But if the government or an association of individuals made the road and imposed a toll to defray the expense, we do not see how these writers could refuse to the outlay the title of productive expenditure. It would follow that the very same labor and expense, if given gratuitously, must be called unproductive, which, if a charge had been made for it, it would have been called productive. When these consequences of the purely arbitrary classification to which we allude have been pointed out and complained of, the only answer which we have ever seen made to the objection is that the line of demarcation must be drawn somewhere, and that in every classification there are intermediate cases which might have been included with almost equal propriety either in the one class or in the other. The answer appears to us to indicate the want of a sufficiently accurate and discriminating perception. What is the kind of inaccuracy which generally cannot be avoided in a classification, and what is the other kind of accuracy from which it always may be, and should be, exempt? The classes themselves may be, mentally speaking, perfectly definite, though it may not always be easy to say which of them a particular object belongs. When it is certain in which of the two classes an object should be placed, if the classification be properly made, and properly expressed, the uncertainty can turn only upon a matter of fact. It is uncertain to which class the object belongs, because it is doubtful whether it possesses in a greater degree the characteristics of the one class or those of the other but the characteristics themselves may be defined and distinguished with the nicest exactness, and always ought to be so, especially ought they in a case like the present, because there is only the distinction between the ideas which is of any importance, that we should be able with ease to portion out all employment between the two classes does not happen to be of any particular consequence. It is frequently said that classification is a mere affair of convenience. This assertion is true in one sense, but not if its meaning be that the most proper classification is that in which it is easiest to say whether an object belongs to one class or another. The use of classification is to fix attention upon the distinctions which exist among things, and that is the best classification, which is found upon the most important distinctions whether be the facilities which it may afford of ticketing and arranging the different objects which exist in nature. In fixing, therefore, the meaning of the words productive and unproductive, we ought to endeavor to render them significant of the most important distinctions which, without too glaring a violation of received usage, they can be made to express. We ought, therefore, when we are restricted to the employment of old words, to endeavor as far as possible that it shall be necessary to struggle against the old associations with those words. We should, if possible, give the words such a meaning that the propositions in which people are accustomed to use them shall, as far as possible, still be true, and that the feelings habitually excited by them shall be such as the things to which we mean to appropriate them ought to excite. We shall endeavor to unite these conditions in the result of the following inquiry. 
in whatever manner political economists may have settled the definition of productive and improductive labor or consumption, the consequences which they have drawn from the definition are nearly the same. In proportion to the amount of the productive labor and consumption of a country, the country they all allow is enriched in proportion to the amount of the unproductive labor and consumption, the country is impoverished. Productive expenditure they are accustomed to view as a gain. Unproductive expenditure, however useful, as a sacrifice. Unproductive expenditure of what was desired to be expended productively, they always characterize as a squandering of resources, and call it profusion and prodigality. The productive expenditure of that which ought, without enroaching upon capital, be expended unproductively, is called saving, economy, frugality, want, misery, and starvation, are described as the lot of a nation which annually employs less and less of its labor and resources in production, growing comfort and opulence as the result of an annual increase in the quality of wealth so employed. Let us then examine what qualifies as expenditure, and in the employment of labor, are those from which all the consequences above mentioned really flow. The end to which all labor and all expenditure are directed is twofold. Sometimes it is enjoyment, immediately, the fulfillment of those desires, the gratification of which is wished for on its own account whether labor or expense is not incurred immediately for the sake of enjoyment and is yet not absolutely wanted it must be incurred for the purpose of enjoyment indirectly or immediately by either repairing and perpetuating or adding to the permanent source of enjoyment sources of enjoyment may be accumulated and stored up enjoyment itself cannot the wealth of a country consists of the sum total of the permanent sources of enjoyment, whether material or immaterial, contained in it, and labor, or the expenditure which tends to augment or to keep up these permanent sources, should, we conceive, be termed productive. Labor which is employed for the purpose of directly affording enjoyment, such as the labor of a performer or a musical instrument, we term unproductive labor. Whatever is consumed by such a performer, we consider as unproductively consumed. The accumulated total of the source of enjoyment which the nation possessed is diminished by the amount of what he has consumed, whereas, if it had been given to him in exchange for his services in producing food or clothing, the total of the permanent source of enjoyment in the country might have not diminished but increased. The performer on the musical instrument, then, is, so far as respects that act, not a productive but an unproductive laborer. But what shall we say of the workman who made the musical instrument? He, most persons would say, is a productive laborer, and with reason, because the musical instrument is a permanent source of enjoyment, which does not begin and end with the enjoying, and therefore admits of being accumulated. But the skill of the musician is a permanent source of enjoyment, as well as the instrument which he plays upon. 
and although skill is not a material object, but a quality of an object, viz. of the hands and minds of the performer, nevertheless skill possesses exchangeable value, is acquired by labor and capital, and is capable of being stored and accumulated. Skill, therefore, must be considered as wealth, and the labor and funds employed in acquiring skill in anything tending to the advantage or pleasure of mankind must be considered to be productively employed and expended. The skill of a productive laborer is analogous to the machinery he works on. Neither of them is enjoyment nor conduces directly to it, but both conduce indirectly to it, and both in the same way if a spinning jenny be wealth, the spinner's skill is also wealth. If the mechanic who made the spinning jenny labored productively, the spinner also labored productively when he was learning his trade, and what they both consumed was consumed productively. That is to say, its consumption did not tend to diminish, but to increase the sum of the permanent sources of enjoyment in the country by effecting a new creation of those sources more than equal to the amount of the consumption. The skill of a tailor and the implements he employs contribute in the same way to the convenience of him who wears the coat, namely, a remote way it is the coat itself which continues immediately. The skill of Madame Pasta and the building and decorations which aid the effect of her performance contribute in the same way to the enjoyment of the audience, namely, an immediate way, without any intermediate instrumentality. The building and decorations are consumed unproductively, and Madame Pasta labors and consumes unproductively, for the building is used and worn out, and Madame Pasta performs immediately for the spectator's enjoyment, and without leaving, as a consequence of the performance, any permanent result possessing exchangeable value. Consequently, the epithet unproductive must be equally applied to the gradual wearing out of the bricks and mortar, the nightly consumption of the more perishable properties of the theatre, the labor of Madame Pasta in acting, and of the orchestra in playing. But notwithstanding that, the architect who built the theatre was a productive laborer, so were the producers of the perishable articles, so were those who constructed the musical instruments, and so, we must be permitted to add, were those who instructed the musicians, and all persons who, by the instructions which they may have given to Madame Pasta, contributed to the formation of her talent. All these persons contributed to the enjoyment of the audience in the same way, and that a remote way, viz by the production of a permanent source of enjoyment. The difference between this case and the case of the cotton spinner already adverted to is this. The spinning jenny and the skill of the cotton spinner are not only the result of productive labor, but are themselves productively consumed. The musical instrument and the skill of the musician are equally the result of productive labor, but are themselves unproductively consumed. Let us now consider what kinds of labor and of consumption or expenditure will be classified as productive and what as unproductive according to this rule. The following are always productive. Labor and expenditure of which the direct object or effect is the creation of some material product useful or agreeable to mankind. Labor and expenditure of which the direct effect 
and object are to endow human or other animated beings with facilities or qualities useful or agreeable to mankind and possessing exchangeable value labor and expenditure which without having for their direct object the creation of any useful material product or bodily or mental facility or quality yet tend indirectly to promote one or the other of those ends and are exerted or incurred solely for that purpose following are largely productive and partly unproductive and cannot with propriety be ranged decidedly with either class labor or expenditure which does indeed create or promote the creation of some useful material product or bodily or mental faculty or quality but which is not incurred or exerted for that sole end having also for another and perhaps its principal end enjoyment or the promotion of enjoyment such are the labor of the judges the legislator the police officer the soldier and the expenditure incurred for their support these functionaries protect and secure mankind in the exclusive possession of such material products or acquired facilities as belong to them and by the security which they so confer they indirectly increase production to a degree far more than equivalent to the expense which is necessary for their maintenance but this is not the only purpose for which they exist they protect mankind not merely in the possession of their permanent resources but also in the actual enjoyments and so far although highly useful they cannot conformably to the distinction which we have attempted to lay down be considered productive laborers such also are the labor and wages of domestic servants such persons are entertained mainly as subservient to mere enjoyment but most of them occasionally and some habitually render services which must be considered as of a productive nature such as that of cookery the last stage at the manufacture of food or gardening a branch of agriculture the following are wholly unproductive labor exerted and expenditure incurred directly and exclusively for the purpose of enjoyment and not calling into existence anything whether substance or quality but such as begins and perishes in the enjoyment labor exerted and expenditure incurred uselessly or in pure waste in yielding neither direct enjoyment nor permanent sources of enjoyment it may be objected that expenditure incurred even for pure enjoyment promotes production indirectly by inciting to exertion thus the view of the splendor of a rich establishment is supposed by some writers to produce upon the mind of an indigent spectator an earnest desire of enjoyment of the same luxuries and a consequent purpose of working with vigor and diligence and saving from his earnings thus increasing the productive capital of the country it is true that mankind are for the most part excited to productive industry solely by the desire of subsequently consuming the result of their labor and accumulation the consumption called unproductive viz that of which the direct result is enjoyment is in reality the end to which production is only the means a desire for the end is what alone impels any one to have recourse to the means but notwithstanding this it is of the greatest importance to mark the distinction between the labor and the consumption which have been enjoyed for their immediate end 
and the labor and the consumption for which the immediate end is reproduction though the sight of the former may still further stimulate that degree for the enjoyment afforded by wealth which the mere knowledge without the immediate view would suffice to excite and without dwelling on the consideration that the example of a large expenditure excites one individual to accumulation it encourages too 